Hello, and welcome to Not a Couple, a Will and Grace podcast. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this week we are talking about Will and Grace, Season 6, Episode 17, East Side Story. I don't actually know what song they sing when they do the snapping. They don't. They just do Is ballet. it just the uh, instrumental where they, yeah, it's just the they beautiful just street ballet, ballet fight? Yeah. Dance fighting is a beautiful yet dangerous da, da, art form. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I'm not super up on the dance ballet's exact notes. I know it segues borderline Rhapsody in Blue and then dance fights away or something. I know there's a lot of like, ha! Yes, there's a lot of ha. Anywho. Um, neither uh, Leonard Bernstein nor Steven Spielberg is involved in the production of this podcast. Sondheim? No, Steven Spielberg's doing the remake. Oh, that's right. Is Sondheim not involved? Uh, Sondheim's involved in this podcast, didn't you know? He's always here. In I, he, I'm always channeling him <laughs> through the through the duration of the recording. Through process. your pelvis, I hope. Oh yeah, absolutely. Where else would you channel Steven Sondheim from? Your heart. Now, have you heard those musicals? They're cold <laughs> as ice. Let's talk about the episode description, and then we'll jump right into it. Okay. East Side Story. Real estate entrepreneurs Will and Grace face formidable opposition on the east side from a lesbian couple, Edie Falco and Chloe Savini. John Edward gives Karen some psychic guidance. Okay, before we get into the plot, I want to just commend Will and Grace for doing something that is like kind of new for them. It's this thing called plot continuity. <laughs> there are two whole plots this week that have carried other from over from previous episodes. It's so beautiful. It's amazing. I mean, this episode is really like... You know, flip-flop three, Tokyo Drift. <laughs> I will say it kind of plays fast and loose with what Will and Grace are doing, though. Because it kind of suggests that they're going up against, like, real estate brokers, not just flippers. And yeah. that got a little fuzzy. And I'm fine with that, because I think house flipping is stupid. The implication seemed to be that in of Deirdre and Monet... Deirdre was like a broker and Monet was a designer mm-hmm. and so like they would buy the houses and then Monet would redesign them and yes. then they put them back on the market so which isn't quite flipping but it's kind of flipping. Yes and they were kind of doing like high-end flipping which is not that different like from real estate. flipping. Yes. Um, so yes as we mentioned Edie Falco and Chloe Savini are on this episode. Mm-hmm. Tess can't say Chloe Savini's name so we're and, not. Every time I tried to say it it was like Chloe yeah. Ferrero Rocher. <laughs> it's among the things we can't say this week on this episode. Yes, yeah, so let's talk about the other thing we can't say, which we're not exactly in agreement about. Yeah, I think we it's it's harder because so throughout this episode, uh there is extremely liberal use of a let's say Netherlandian term for when you put something in the way of water. Should we just spell it? Like, I, it's a... <laughs> like a cheerleader. <laughs> it's a somewhat derogatory term typically directed towards lesbians or butch women. And if you give me a D, give me a Y, give me a K, give me an E, what's that spell? A word we're not saying. And I think, you know, we, we discussed this because I think it it's harder in this situation where... Neither of us identifies exclusively as a lesbian. Yeah. I mean, romantically, I'm clearly a lesbian. Yes, obviously. But, you know, in a genitalia to genitalia sense, there are generally no lesbian parts. Yes. Just my heart. And as I am a femme-presenting, non-binary, bisexual person, 
I'm not really a lesbian. I've been in relationships that people have classified as lesbian, but not typically me. I'm not the person saying that. I'm not a lesbian. But I have been called this word before. So part of me is sort of like, ah, I can use it as like a femme queer person who's been called this. But in order to best respect our lesbian listeners, we are not going to use this word, much like we don't use the word Frenchman. Mm -hmm. We will instead be using... Dutchman. Yes. So instead of using the word, which you all hopefully know what we're saying at this point, we're going to use Dutchman instead. So um, when these characters are introduced, it's actually really interesting because Karen knows who they are Mm -hmm. and is like... Because uh, in early seasons, of course, Karen is bisexual. Yes. And in all seasons, Karen is bisexual. (laughs) Karen's bisexual. Hashtag Karen Walker is bisexual. Um, hashtag drag race. <laughs> Sorry, RuPaul doesn't know how to use hashtags, and every time I remember that he can't use hashtags, I'm just like, hashtag drag race. Poor RuPaul. Um, but, so, Karen, you know, probably due to the fact that she's technically a real estate mogul, but we don't really ever talk about that, right. um, is aware of these flipping Frenchmen. Mm-hmm. Sorry, flipping Dutchmen. They're not flipping Frenchmen. That's made very clear in the episode. No, they're flipping Dutchmen. Yeah, the word Dutchman is used, like, at least ten times, which is at least... Ten times more than is necessary. I think it kind of speaks to the cultural moment. There, in the early aughts, late nineties, there's this sort of like power lesbian like trope that appeared in a lot of mm-hmm. media. Specifically, I'm thinking of Sex in the City. There is this whole episode where Charlotte gets involved with this like group of high end uh, art trader, art collector lesbians. Like power lesbians. They're power lesbians. Yeah. yeah, and like then she's sort of like ousted from the group because literally. Um, in the edited version, which I watched as a youth, it was like, it said, if you don't dive, you're not a lesbian. But then I actually watched the unedited version on HBO a few months ago, and it actually says, if you don't eat pussy, you're not a lesbian. And I mean, as far as criteria goes, that's not objectively that high of a bar. I mean, objectively, it can, that's a little bit like genitalia always equals gender situation. Yeah. It can be a little bit construed as transphobic. Um, but the the general idea, I think, is is pretty straightforward, which is that to be a lesbian, you do have to be a woman who wants to be romantically or sexually or both involved with other women. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, exclusively right. other women is, I should I feel like there's definitely that overlap in, like, the gay community, too, because you have, like, these, like, on the DL guys who are, like, willing to get their dick sucked but aren't willing to suck somebody else's dick. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not, a, that's not a gay man. You gotta put the pole in your hole. <laughs> that's the rule. <laughs> You broke me. I'm broken. <laughs> That's oh, the no. rule. Oh, God. Why? <laughs> As Ice-T would say, um, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> like when <laughs> someone eats too much chocolate cake or someone eats too much chocolate cake and then throws it up. <laughs> yeah, T, you, you got it. <laughs> Um, anyways, so, but yes, the power lesbian dynamic is like a real tropey thing that happens a lot in television, especially Mm -hmm. in this era. And so that does seem to sort of play into, I think, a little bit as to why everyone sort of refers to them as the flipping Dutchman. Yes, it's an identity-based thing. Yes, they're Um, very proud of being flippers who are also queer. Which is definitely a trend that has continued on since this time period. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's kind of like the, you know, deliberately using the word queer in and of itself is kind of of that same paradigm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not to say that, well, well, I'll just, I'll just go further. 
I think because this word is thrown around so frequently in the beginning of the episode, Mm -hmm. you kind of expect it to be a flaming disaster. Yeah, like, I remember starting this and being like, oh, no, is this episode, like, way worse than I remember it being? And it's not. It's It's actually actually, really good. It's pretty good. And they're objectively, like, other than some obvious bisexual erasure, which is just par for the course for Will and Grace, no matter what season, no matter what year, it's 2019, hashtag Karen Walker is bisexual. I will say that the bisexual erasure in this episode is part of the plot. Yes. Which is an interesting choice for Will and Grace, because usually it's part of the entire framework of the show. Yes. Um, but what you end up with is you actually end up with two very realized guest stars mm-hmm. who are very proud lesbians who are coming in and meeting Will and Grace as equals, actually really as betters. Mm-hmm. Um, at every turn, even the limping gazelle of the duo yes. is able to outsmart Will and Grace. Yes. Um, so basically what you have is you have Deirdre, who's played by Edie Falco. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like the confident leader of the duo. She's the broker. She's in charge. She tells Monet what to do yes. at all times. And then there's Monet, who's this sort of wayfish, shrinking violet... And then often will volunteer information about how Deirdre mm-hmm. likes her. And they're all very strange things, such as... She likes me frail. She likes me pale. <laughs> they rhyme a little bit sometimes. They do. Um, there's a moment in which uh, she's clearly hungry. And then she's saying that like she really wants some food. And she's like, no, you can't eat. And she's just like, oh, she likes me frail. But I've already worked off that Tic Tac from this morning. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, no, Chloe, you need to get out of here. Like, it's definitely like... In a serious show, it would be, like, scary and sad. But, like, it's just that edge of, like, funny and scary and real and unusual. It sort of tips over into the, like, caricature thing. Where it sort of a little bit feels like they're kind of playing this up to intimidate other people. Yes. But, like, you don't know for sure if they're actually doing it. I like to assume that they play up this sort of BDSM kind of, like, attitudes that people are really extra afraid of Deirdre because they're like, look at the stronghold she has on Monet. I don't know what it is about this episode, but, like... Wheel and Grace does that so many times where they, like, push a guest star, like, to the point of caricature, and it doesn't quite click. And in this episode, it really, really works. Yeah, it works really well. So, essentially, the conflict comes in because Will and Grace are looking at a property on the east side, mm-hmm. and it belongs to Grace's Aunt Honey. So, they're yes. hoping to purchase and flip her place. Right. But the east side is notoriously the Flipping Dutchman's territory. Yes. And so, they come in, and they are very unhappy, and... um. They basically have already tried to outbid Will and Grace, and Mm -hmm. so they come to Grace's office to, like, confront them, and instead happen upon Will. And they have this whole, like, showdown where, like, they're like, Aunt Aunt Honey agreed to give us the place, and Mm -hmm. then Will's like, God damn it, Aunt Honey! Mm -hmm. And um, so then while they're there, however, Monet, played by Chloe Savini, or however the fuck you say her name, (laughs) uh, is kind of interested in will like she seems like genuinely physically attracted to him which really kind of counteracts this whole like power lesbian narrative right it's really interesting because the show is clearly in at some level acknowledging that the character of monet is in some way bisexual although i think the show is also a little bit trying to argue that she's not really a lesbian which is just bisexual eraser but, but that's not the point but like let's just assume for the sake of argument that she is a person who's attracted to multiple genders right and Deirdre has to keep her lesbian hegemony tight yes. so that she can preserve her, her like, monopolistic control over the East yes. Side. Yes, there's, like, literally a moment when she, like, snaps at Monet and she's like, no, Monet, you're into women now. Like, yes. And like, it's, it's funny because, like, the character is, like, an evil lesbian who both is evil because she's a lesbian, but also is evil 
and is also a lesbian. Yeah, it's like it's not totally like a queer villain sort of character arc. Yeah, and I think this partly helps because Will and Grace to fight them end up employing the same tactics. Yes, and so Will and Grace they have like a little like think sesh and mm-hmm. they're um they're really like trying to figure out what to do and i love it because they've completely cast off their flippers who care idea absolutely we're way past that we're way past that they are all here to just try and be the ones who are the ones ripping off Anthony. Mm-hmm. they don't really care right. that she's getting ripped off they just care that they're the ones to do it yes and so they concoct this plan and it's it's a quite devious plan it's a good plan like uh there's there's a joke that will should get a macarthur evil genius grant for this plan <laughs> And so the plan goes like this. He knows that Monet is attracted to him. And so he plans to seduce her. Dangerous. And then have Deirdre walk in. And then they are so rattled that they break up. And then their monopoly on the east side has ended. And then Will and Grace can rip people off into the sunset. On both sides of Manhattan. But only on its upper side. Yeah, obviously. Lower east side. Are you kidding me? Gross. (laughs) There. Why would we even flip the place? Just sell it again. Oh my god, sorry. There's. Let's just take a brief moment to step back to discuss threats that Deirdre makes that offend me as someone who works at a needle exchange. <laughs> Literally, she threatens Will that if they don't back off, that the next thing he knows, he's going to wake up living next door to a needle exchange. And I would just like to say that living next door to a needle exchange isn't actually that bad, and you're much less likely to encounter stray needles if you live where place in a place where people can dispose of them properly. I'm just saying, if a needle exchange opened on the Upper West Side, people would lose their mind. And I mean, this is also 2004 when needle exchanges were not super culturally legal. respected. <laughs> or legal. They're not even legal in Wisconsin. Well, they're legal some places now, at least. True. It's like gay marriage circa this time. Like, there's probably one place you can go where it's legal. But it's not here. <laughs> but it's not here. Yes. So, um, stepping back from that. So, they, they invite Deirdre and Monet over for dinner to sort of, like, pretend like they're patching things up mm-hmm. and that they're going to cede the east side to them. And so, then Will starts kind of, like, casually flirting with Monet. Mm-hmm. But then, plot twist. So, they kind of talk about it in the terms of they're going to pick off the limping gazelle. Right. Like, the, the weak, weaker part of the duo. Mm-hmm. And so, the thing is, Grace has also been targeted mm-hmm. because Grace... She is the limping gazelle. Is the limping gazelle. Because and she's pregnant. She's super pregnant. Yeah. She's like wildly pregnant and then <laughs> no one is talking about this. It's like she's just like about to give birth like right then and there. And I've gained a lot of weight directly over my uterus. I hate it when I only gain weight in my uterus and then I'm not pregnant for some reason. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so anyways, so while Will is like trying to seduce Monet mm-hmm. so that they can like break them up, we see Deirdre kind of like try to seduce Grace. And it's a really interesting way that she does it. And it's quite devious. Mm-hmm. And I think that really she should get the MacArthur Genius grant. She should. Because she is not only trying to seduce her as a professional, but also like as a lesbian. Yes. Like she's like, God, you're so pretty and I love your hair. And then also you're so talented. You're wasted with Will. Yes. It's very clever because it it plays with the fact that standards and practices will not let Deirdre actively seduce grace like directly like she can't kiss her she can't like put her fingers through her hair she can't caress her really but it actually makes sense in character that this character would try to play like both sides of the argument because she's really trying to do the lesbian seduction but she knows grace doesn't identify as a lesbian so she's like she's like i could possibly turn her in both ways yes it's it works it's kind of like the bisexual erasure element of the plot like it works for the plot 
not against it, which is so rare for this show. Yeah, because Grace, as a character, is the type of person who loves it when anyone ravishes her with attention. And so having someone who's like, you're a genius, and, you know, Monet isn't as talented of a designer as Mm -hmm. you are, but also, you're beautiful, you're pretty, look at your hair. You're Linda Evangelista. (laughs) You're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're like Linda Evangelista, but like... And you know what? I think that's an underrated reason why the plotline in the current Will and Grace where Karen is bisexually erased falls so flat is because that doesn't feel like something that would happen to Karen. No. It does feel like something that would happen to Grace. I could absolutely have seen Grace getting swept up into a relationship with a woman because she didn't really realize it was sexual. Yes. And like, even like she still thought they were gal pals right. who kissed sometimes or yes. something. Yes, because that's basically the relationship she has with Karen. Yeah. They do kiss. Yeah, I mean, often. you know, it's weird. There was a point earlier in this season where it suggests the idea that Jack and Will might have slept together and gotten together. But objectively, by the same standards that we're applying, Karen and Grace have been dating for 10 years. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's a really interesting seduction. And so then we see Will is now stuck in this bedroom with Monet, who's like, licking him and like making out with him and she's got lipstick all over his Uh face and he keeps kind of like loudly trying to get grace to like hey this is the signal get her to walk in right and grace is too busy being seduced to pay attention and so then will like escapes the bedroom (laughs) under the rope like the guise of going to get condoms from the kitchen which let's take another brief pause as someone who works in sex education, if you're going to need condoms in your life, you should keep them in your bedroom or at least other places where you would feasibly be having sex. Preferably places that don't have knives. Yeah, don't keep them near the knives or any other pokey objects. And Except so, your penis. Yeah, that's the only pokey object you should have a condom near. Also a dildo. Mm-hmm. Basically, phallus is good, knives bad. But Phall- definitely not knives. Don't put a knife in your butt. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> It's a good public service announcement. Public service announcement. Don't put a knife in your butt. <laughs> the more you know. You will get sepsis and die. You sepsis. probably won't even get sepsis. The silent killer. You won't have if blood poisoning long enough to get sepsis. If you don't bleed to death from putting the knife in your butt, you will definitely get sepsis and die. Ow, my butt hurts now. Ow, my butt. <laughs> but yeah, so um, basically all is revealed because Will, when he runs out of the room to get rubbers, sees... Care, uh, sees Grace and Deirdre dancing mm-hmm. and like they're like slow dancing and like kind of like rubbing on each other a little it's bit it's so beautiful and Will's just like hey what the fuck and then you realize that Deirdre and Monet have crafted the same plan mm-hmm. that they were gonna distract Will and then pick off the weakest gazelle mm-hmm. And so Grace is understandably offended that she's the limping gazelle. Right. But it's it kind of funny because, like, they, the choreography of the scene is so great because, like, Will and Grace and Deirdre and Monet, like, take turns getting mad at each other and, yes. like, rotating around the room. I mean, it's just, it's an exceptional episode, like, top to bottom. It's Except beautiful. for the Dutchman thing. The Dutchman thing is a bit weird. but I, it, Honestly, at least it's catchy. I yeah. mean, offensive, but catchy. It depends on who you talk to. Some people do identify as a Dutchman. That's much, true. Much more so than people who... I've never really met anyone who identified with the term Frenchman. Frenchman. That's true. But I've, I've met women and other butch-presenting people who have really identified with Dutchmen. Right. That's true. And so especially, like, like, from the time period. Yeah, and like I it, mean... I don't think the characters call themselves Dutchmen in the episode, though, they correct? They might. They might. I feel like they might refer to themselves as the Flipping Dutchman, but I'm, I'm not positive. And it would, be a, it would be a fine character choice for that to be the case. Right. Which I think helps the situation Frenchman versus Dutchman a little bit as well. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I, again, I think that in general, Dutchman is a much more acceptable use term because it is an identity that some people agree with. And I mean, it also kind of like stems out of second wave feminism with the whole idea that like, um, you know, feminism is the theory and lesbianism is the practice. And so right. There definitely seems to be an element of that in Deirdre's character and that she's trying to sort of force on Monet mm-hmm. that like, if you are this sort of strong woman, you have to only date other women. Right. Because reasons. Right. Well, yeah. yeah. But so it's overall a very satisfying plot to watch mm-hmm. and it's very funny. And it's the, probably the queerest Will and Grace has been in quite some time. Yeah. And so it's, it's also very funny to see how intentionally queer we see Will being because mm-hmm. he's trying to seduce her, but then having to continue to like check in with himself to make sure he's not performing right, right. gayness. Yes. And it's very fun. And interesting. And there's a whole moment where he's in the middle of a seduction, but then he also freaks out about a duck's ruffle. I didn't know that was that had a name, so I learned something today. I'm now gayer because of this episode of Will and Grace. Thanks, Will and Grace, for making us gayer. All right. Do you want to talk about the Karen and Jack plotline this week? Yes. So let's talk about Karen and Jack. It's mostly a Karen plotline, and I think this one also suffered from immediate reactionary pushback, and then like, oh, I'm surprised that this plotline is so good. Yeah. And so it starts off with Karen is now engaged to mm-hmm. Lyle Finster. Yes. And she has this massive engagement ring. It's like, like It looks like a ring pop. It looks like a ring pop. It's ridiculous. And so her and Jack are admiring this ring. And then Karen admits to Jack that, you know, she's having these dreams where mm-hmm. she's in a courtroom and she's being cross-examined by a hippo. And Jack's theory is that the hippo is Will because he consistently fat shames Will, a very thin <laughs> person. Yes. But she believes that the hippo is actually Stan. Which, is, you know, makes sense. Is Who is canonically a fat person and is also disapproving of her new marriage. We also don't know that Stan isn't a hippo. We've never seen Stan. He may well be a hippo. This could be like the Bojack Horseman universe where like animals are people. There's no reason to believe that Stan isn't a hippo. Yes. But anyways, it's it's so strange because like this is such an interesting introduction. And then Jack is like, and now let's go to my friend, the fake medium. Yes. So then Jack's solution to figuring out this problem is to get Karen to go speak to John Edward, the famous, at the time, medium. I was very upset to learn that this was a real person because mediums upset me tremendously. The Long Island medium makes me actually nauseous. I want to take all of her press-on nails and put them in her eyelids. Yes. So they go to a book signing of John's, and they Karen asks him to reach out to Stan mm-hmm. for her. And he says, no, I'm not doing any readings today. Right. And then Karen reacts in the best possible way. It's so good. I literally wrote it down. It's She says, I am a rational thinking woman, and I demand to talk to a ghost. <laughs> and it is just the epitome of why that start of the plot just, like, went off the rails. But mm-hmm. it's really funny that, like, obviously Karen is, in fact, a rational thinking woman. And that even this medium isn't willing to take her money. Admittedly, and, that was the point where the episode started to win me back. Yes, where he's like, I think you just need to search your feelings about this. And she's just like, no, I want to talk to a ghost, damn it! And, like, obviously, like... Mediums are fake, guys. Okay? Right. Like, they're not real. They are, are like... They prey on the weak, scourge of the earth. They're fucking worse terrible. Worse than ghosts on every level. Literally. Wish they would become ghosts so they would be trapped on this plane of existence for all eternity, not allowed to go into heaven. Yes. He... I have some minorly strong feelings about mediums for some reason. I do, too. Honestly, my mom once saw a medium, so we've had a lot of death in my family this last yeah. year or so, and my mom and my cousin, like had a, a medium come to my cousin's house and they were going to do a reading. And even my mom, who, like, believes hardcore that mediums are real people, was like, this person was full of shit. Yeah, no, that's not They're just, thing. like, making shit up and, yeah. like, what, what, nothing they were saying resonated. So, like, they weren't even a good liar. Mm-hmm. 
So yeah, mediums are all liars and they're garbage. But even John Edward was like, Karen, you just need to think about this one. <laughs> and so cut to Karen is trying to go to bed. And I think, I, I, I genuinely believe that this is out of the goodness of Jack's heart. It's definitely out of the goodness of his heart. Because there's no ulterior motive set up. Yeah. Usually there is with Jack. There's nothing for him to gain from doing this. And so apparently Karen has many dreams or experiences where she communicates with the dead through her PA system in her house. Wait, now we don't have time to get into all of that. We don't have time to unpack all that. But so Jack, when Karen is going to sleep, uses the PA system to impersonate Stan and does his best to tell her that, you know, it's okay to move on and I'm glad mm-hmm. you found someone and yada, yada, yada. And Karen naturally finds him out because he's not a terribly good impersonator of Stan. No. And so she like comes out of the room and he's like still pressing the button. And then in <laughs> panicked Jack mode, she's like, oh, okay, that's going to be 1197. Pull around to the next window. Like he just like <laughs> pretends like he's playing drive through. Like Burger Queen. Yes, Burger Queen drive through. <laughs> and so Karen is understandably upset. And then she like yells at Jack. But then Jack spends the night. And so Jack is, you know, sleeping in Karen's room. And then Karen wakes him up a few hours later being like honey i was in the kitchen to make a ham sandwich and stan's voice came to me from the refrigerator (laughs) and he told me that i should marry finney and it's like a nice beautiful moment and then jack really validates her being like yeah you know that makes sense he used to love seeing you with other men when you were married so Mm -hmm. obviously it would make sense that he'd want to see it in the afterlife which is not a fact that we knew about stan but doesn't does make sense it does check yeah yeah and so she's very happy and she like climbs into bed la 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 she's very pleased and then jack is just like huh that's so funny that that happened. And then Rosario walks by and is like, I just do a better stand than you. And so we kind of learned that not only did Jack want to bring this comfort to Karen. But, but so did Rosario. So did Rosario. And so she like went out of her way to do this silly thing to reassure Karen that, you know, she's going to be okay. And I think we also, on a less moving note, learned that Rosario tries to manipulate Karen while she's asleep. Oh, all the time. Yeah. 100%. Clearly, clearly Rosario is the ghost that speaks to Karen through the intercom. <laughs> She just often is just like, lady. (laughs) And it's really interesting, especially having watched the new season of The Revival, where there is an episode in which Jack is like briefly possessed by the ghost of Rosario. Yeah, I thought of that immediately watching this episode because Rosario's in it. Yes. Like, it's it's interesting because in that episode, something metaphysical happens where Rosario crosses through from the other side and speaks through Jack to Karen so that Karen can have this meaningful moment. Mm-hmm. I kind of like that here that doesn't happen. That it's the two people who care about Karen the most trying to help her move on with her life. Yeah. I think for me that resonates a lot more. That makes more emotional sense. It's a lot more honest. Mm-hmm. That they would be intentionally reaching out to try and comfort her. Versus the idea that like, oh my god, the intercom's possessed. Right. But yeah, but yeah. It, it's overall, it's still a very nice thing that happens mm-hmm. and Karen feels better and that's good. But I like how well this particular plot merges the serious with the funny. Yeah. I mean, this is probably the most, I mean, considering that Karen's plot the last couple of weeks has been like, I'm dating a guy whose daughter is my ex, my dead husband's ex-lover. Like, that's not very serious. And yet, like, out of that goofy, weird plot line, we got this really real human emotion moment. Yeah, that like I am in love with someone now but I'm still in love with my dead mm-hmm. person and, and I how to move on from how that. How do I move on and would that person be okay? But yet it's still very funny. Yeah, and it's still really funny. I think that Will and Grace is really at its best when it's able to bring sort of like an emotionally honest thing into the comedy. I think that's when some of its best writing happens when it's not mm-hmm. 
taking cheap stabs at people or like making jokes at other people's expense but rather it's like it's pulling from a real human feeling that people actually have and then blowing it up to make it funny yeah well i think that's why it's been so successful in revival because it's really gone back to that style of episode yeah and uh you know we're seeing a version of that here that we don't normally see in the original show Mm -hmm. and it's really enjoyable it's really great all right, I think that's where we're going to leave it for today. Yeah, I think so. Tess, will you tell everyone where they can find us on the internet? Alrighty, so the number one place to find us on the internet is our Twitter page. We are at Not A Couple Show. We tweet updates about the episodes, and when the revival is in season, we also live tweet every episode of the revival. Um, if you're also looking for other places you could interact with us online, we have a Facebook page as well as a Tumblr. You can always send us an ask there. Um, we have an email address, which is notacouplepodcast at gmail.com. So you can send us a, a note of a longer variety there if you should choose. And then we assume that since you're listening to this podcast, you've worked out one of the places where it's streaming. But you can also find us on Apple and on Spotify and on Podbean. All right. Thanks so much for listening to us, everybody. Uh, we will be back next week with more Will and Grace. Yay. I'm Matthew. I'm Tess. And this has been Not a Couple. Bye-bye. Stay thirsty. This episode of Not a Couple was sponsored by the Flipping Dutchman. They're like the Flying Dutchman, but they do more barrel rolls.